0: We're still um, just scratching the surface of the question we've been looking at, but I have another old-timey sermon illustration for you. The Reverend Dr. Mason of New York, New York hyphenated, New hyphen York, was requested to visit a lady in dying circumstances in that city who, together with her husband, openly avowed infidel principles, though they attended his ministry. On approaching her bedside, he asked if she felt herself a sinner and her need of a savior. She frankly told him she did not, and that she believed the doctrine of a mediator to be all a farce. Then, said the doctor, I have no consolation for you, not one word of comfort. There is not a single passage in the Bible that warrants me to speak peace to one who rejects the mediator provided. You must take the consequences of your infidelity." He was at the point of leaving the room when one said, Well, if you cannot speak consolation to her, you can pray for her. To this, he assented, and kneeling down by the bedside, prayed for her as a guilty sinner just sinking into hell. And then, rising from his knee, he left the house. To his great surprise, a day or two afterward, he received the message from the lady herself, earnestly desiring that he would come and see her, and that without delay. He immediately obeyed the summons. But what was his amazement when on entering the room, she held out her hand to him and said with a benign, benignant, benignant smile. Wow, I've not ever come, I've heard of malignant, but this is a benignant smile. It is all true. All that you said on Sabbath is true. I have seen myself the wretched sinner you described in your prayers. I have seen Christ to be that all-sufficient Savior you said he was. And God has mercifully snatched me from the abyss of infidelity in which I was sunk and placed me on that rock of ages. There I am secure. There I shall remain. I know whom I have believed. The doctor's prayer, though through the divine blessing fastened on her mind, she was convinced of her guilty state and enabled to rest wholly on the Savior, and after solemnly charging her husband to educate their daughter in the fear of God, she expired in the exercise of joy and peace in believing. So that's... I like that,
1: that one has like a conclusion. So many <laughs> of these, like, I'm like waiting for the next sentence and it never comes.
0: Well, you know, their illustrations are moments in time. <laughs> that's often the case with the news. You'll be like, all right, I can't wait to find out what happened with this guy. And then you never hear of him again. That would be a good podcast for someone to have. Like, a new spin on the rest of the story, yeah. now that Paul Harvey's dead. It could be like, remember that lady who, I don't know, I can't even think of these things that come and go so quickly, but, you know, a lady who spilled coffee on her lap, this is what she's up to. You know, like, like there's so many of those. Um, okay, so we are in question 87.
1: Uh, 70 in ours.
0: Ah, right. Oh, I don't have them... In my copy of the Catechism, a document named My Copy Catechism, uh, all of those proof texts are in the text where they go.
1: How is that not remarkable?
0: It's somewhere. But let's, uh, let's look at the next phrase here, the true sense of sin. We did talk a bit about this as well. We talked about already the sorrow... Uh, the worldly sorrow, which leads to death. We talked about the uh, godly sorrow, which leads to life. you want to get those doors for me, Alex? <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, according to Alexander White, a true sense of sin is to see it and feel it as committed against God and against God as he is revealed in the scriptures. We, we looked at that pretty in depth, I think, as well. Um, I mentioned that Tim Keller uh, proverb or, or, or formula... Of uh, worldly sorrow is, oh no, I've broken God's law. Godly sorrow is I've broken God's heart, and that breaks your heart. Uh talk about Judas
1: and Peter too.
0: Yeah, Judas and Peter as kind of uh, emblems of worldly sorrow. One of so so yeah, th- I think it might even be worth kind of talking more about the way that plays out. I mean, those are both extreme, right? Very extreme. Both the act, the sin and the response as a, a uh, kind of specimen of that kind of sorrow, Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss seems to be a worse sin than Peter denying him, but Peter does it three times and Judas only once, and both of them feel immediate sorrow, right? Judas weeps, Peter weeps. Both of them uh, go out away from Jesus right? That Judas doesn't hang with him Peter doesn't hang with him he does for a little while but as soon as he recognized that I've, I've, I've done what he said I would do he's gone he runs away and Judas at least tries to make it right right? he takes the money they say we can't accept it back it's blood money now we have such high standards we will you know, create the blood money but we won't accept the blood money and so he throws it back in there. They say, we can't put this. These guys, they, they won't do it. They won't put it back in the treasury, even though their very positions, uh, they're, you know, the, the high priest having been appointed, that's all Rome, right? You can do it now. You can do it. It's, it's all of the political game, but they have their standards. They won't put it back in there. So they buy the potter's field, and that's where Judas goes and hangs himself. And you say, "Wow, that is a lot of sorrow." Um, there have been those throughout. There have been there have been those throughout uh, the uh, history of the church. Uh, Bible scholars and, and ethicists and things that want to say the the difference is that Judas commits this unforgivable sin of committing suicide, and that's the difference between them. I think that's a hundred percent something you have to impose on the text. Uh, there's there's no sense in the scriptures that. Uh, committing suicide is the unforgivable sin. In fact, we know that there is but one, and that is unbelief. And so um, that's not the difference. I think it's a symptom, right? He has no hope. Peter's hanging on to a certain amount of hope. He continues to stay with the disciples. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a difference. He doesn't cut himself off from the church. He knows he needs to be there with them, but he doesn't really know the next move. He stays with them he he's running to the empty tomb hoping to encounter Jesus so he's looking to so ultimately it is Jesus who finds him but he's been trying to find Jesus and so he's got a sense that there's not been a final break because the the faith that he had was effectual it was a, god had made him into a new creation And so he knows this hasn't been severed. Um, How do you think that can play out these two things today? In less extreme scenarios where there's no blood money and and no Jesus physically taking you aside and saying three times, do you love me? And you get to say yes, and he affirms it.
1: Well, I think that you you mentioned last time the pattern that you see in, in people when somebody uh, says they left the church because they don't believe anymore, but what really propelled them to leave was a sin, which they must have thought in some way couldn't be forgiven or something they wanted to keep doing or whatever. Um, And that would then be something where you would then leave the church, leave the flock, or, you know, even if it's just, like, shame that drives somebody away. Like, I don't want to see the other people at church because I know what I'm, how I'm living or whatever, and I don't want to have these conversations or whatever. Like, the longer you're away, the easier it is to be away. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't necessarily end in suicide, but it would end in, I would think, a spiritual death.
0: Yeah, and I, I have to wonder, too, if... I mean, so I guess the unspoken assumption here which we could oh no we could speak is that there is true regeneration in one case and not in the other which is why then um, this run that someone was on of more or less following Jesus if it ends with a great sin seems like oh I messed that up there's no inroad back into this uh, because there hasn't been this life of daily repentance and this, right. uh, again, muscle memory we talked about last week yeah. of just like, boom, back to Jesus, back to Jesus, well, back to Jesus every time.
1: If you had never experienced an actual repentance and an actual believing, then that would, you'd be more likely, I guess, to believe like, this can't be, like, he'll forgive these other things, but not this. Mm-hmm. But if you would actually have that experience, then one would hope that you would, even if you were full of sorrow, you would still believe that God could restore you.
0: Yeah, yeah. And P- Peter, before he was, I, I, these are categories I guess we, we can't be 100% sure of the timing of, but it seems certainly before he was regenerate, um, says to Jesus, in light of his holiness, get away from me. Just get away from me. I'm sinful. You're holy. You're, you're amazing. You need to get away from me right now. And Jesus says, no, 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 you need to stay by me. And he puts his faith in him. And by the time he denies Jesus three times, his response to you're holy and I'm sinful is I need to be near you again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that yeah, is indicative of whether, and, and certainly I'm not saying that a believer who truly has been born again can't uh, given to the temptation uh, of the enemy to say, oh, I've sinned. I've really, that's it. I've, I've dropped the ball in a final way. I, i and, and go through even a semi-extended period of prayerlessness and, and not uh, drawing near to God because of the sin, you know, and, and there are scriptures that remind us, you know, you know, what is it? Isaiah. 15, nine? I don't know, I'm in dangerous territory I'm trying to quote these things, but uh, your, your, sep- your sins have made a separation between your God and you so that he does not hear you, mm-hmm. and so as long as the sin goes unconfessed, there's this growing kind of distance, and that was happening even in three days with Jesus and Peter, so that Jesus had to get to him, uh, he put him in a tough spot where like, I'm on the shore, you're on the boat, <laughs> and uh, you can't stay out there forever, but Peter had no desire to. He jumps in the water. He, he has to get to Jesus. He has to get there as soon as possible. And that's immediately fixed. Uh, you have to have the sense that Jesus said to him, we're not going to bring this up again. Yeah, you did it. I've forgiven it. It's gone. It's over. I died for that. That's what this whole thing was about. Uh, and and it's so sad to me to think of someone having a heartbrokenness, a sorrow about sin that then doesn't have as part of it the hope of the cross built into it. Especially if they're in a church, they're, in, you know, they're reading the Bible, but they don't have that understanding, or maybe they even have the mental understanding, but they don't have the automatic um, tendency toward turning to God when they fall. Reaching out to him, you know, Peter had that, right? He's, I'm gonna walk on the waves. I'm on the waves, and then all of a sudden he's going down, and he's reaching out. To, I, I need, I need him. I need him to save me. Uh, every, every moment we need him to save us. Um, yes, certainly. Go, go. <laughs> was,
2: um, because with kids, it's you know when you ask, have you sinned? you know, and someone's been in class, it's like, oh, here has your hand? And they're like, doo, doo, you know, so, <laughs> and so today we're doing an activity where we're throwing of sins away, but the other group is throwing sins back at you, so you're oh. not Ooh, just throwing them away, but they're going to keep coming, so you're going to keep needing to go back to God and, mm. and know that you have that forgiveness, so I think that it goes back to how you say you have to, instead of running away and feeling hopeless, and like, you can't, why would God forgive me of this? Why would he do it again and again? I don't believe he does, and that
1: uh-huh.
2: disconnect where, uh, now, you know... Like Peter, I gotta get closer. I gotta keep working on that. I gotta keep coming back to him. So mm-hmm. so that was kind of fitting what... Well, of course it fits but, with what you were saying, but it just is a way to kind of see that visual.
1: Yeah, uh, that's cool.
0: Coming back. Leave it to Deborah to figure out a theologically sound way to play dodgeball. <laughs> <laughs> Didactic dodgeball. I love it. I wish I was in Didactic your class. Didactic
1: dodgeball.
2: What did you call it? I gotta
0: put that name up. <laughs> um... We did read last week, Joel 2.13, which is one of the proof texts given. I'm going to read it again. Uh, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. I could almost, I would put money down that, that Judas tore his garments uh, after what he did. That would have been the automatic cultural response to, to sorrow, deep, horrifying sorrow, but he did not, obviously, really rend his heart, uh, ever. And if he had and returned to the Lord, he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, even for Peter who uh, denied him, even for the men nailing him actively to the cross in that moment. That, that is some crazy love to uh, possibly infringe some copyrights. To be nailed to the cross and say, forgive these guys particularly
1: it's interesting wow right? like if, if Judas hadn't committed suicide if the disciples would have sought him out once they encountered the risen Christ
0: a hundred percent right I, I mean had he been actually penitent I, I I think Jesus would have made sure they did yeah. right go don't leave him alone he needs to be with you yeah. um, and and just like he embraced Peter he would have embraced him it's a it's a really sad, really sad. warning Um, I don't want any crossover with my, my podcast with Alex, but uh, do you think this is the guy in the cage in Pilgrim's Progress in the Interpreter's House who wants to get out? Does Judas want to get out, but can't because of his sin? It
1: seems or does like, he not want it? It seems like he wants to, otherwise he wouldn't return the money.
0: Well, I think people can want to make things right and erase their mistakes because they don't like the consequences without truly having a change of heart and Right. and... and true repentance and, and godly sorrow.
1: But he does well he doesn't have it, clearly he doesn't have godly sorrow because he's, you know, the one that Jesus is
0: gonna right. lose. Right, yeah, but, the son of perdition to fulfill the prophecy, etc. Cetera, et cetera.
1: But he he does seem to have regret. Like I, I shouldn't have done this. this is sure.
0: But worldly regret. Yeah. Right? It's it's yeah. it's and anyway, I don't think we can I think this starts to fall in the category with the kingdom of God, with the wheat and the tares, um yeah. where the workers are like, I think I can probably. I've been around a while. I can say that's true. That's false. That's true. That's that guy isn't really. Uh, I can tell this person's not saved. And remember, the the owner says, no, 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 no. The enemy has planted weeds that look an awful lot like wheat when they first come up. We have to wait till the harvest. Then the harvesters come through. Uh, they will separate. Otherwise, you're gonna end up pulling up good wheat trying to pull up tares. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's much easier after the fact when you say, how did this end for Judas than it could have been in the moment? Uh, they, they were all completely shocked too, right? Um, he gets up. What you do, go do quickly. He leaves. And everyone thinks, oh, he must just be going to make a, like a payment on the room or something. Like he's, he's in charge of the moment. No one thinks. Even though the whole context of it is one of you will betray me. He was beyond... Even uh, question, he was beyond suspicion. He was a solid guy, but it was all external. Sadly, I'm sure there'll be many ministers on the last day, and we know there will be, who say, Lord, Lord, didn't I lead big churches? Didn't I do great things? Uh, there'll be longtime church members. Lord, didn't I come every week and sit in my pew and you know, bring something to the potluck and visit people? When they... and, and he'll say, listen, if you don't know me, I don't know you. Depart from me. Um, Psalm 119, uh, verse 59. That's the last of these texts. Uh, I know that I have two more in my copy. I'll have to look at that. If we don't finish this question today. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. A desire to obey also will fill a godly sorrow, uh, a a desire to draw back into God's law, get back into his word, uh, not just to make right my one misstep and not make that mistake again, but to uh, get into God's word and for it to get into me. Uh, I think that a, a beautiful phrase here, which, I don't know, maybe from another point of view is kind of a cold and academic way of describing something beautiful is that it will it will involve an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ.
1: Because we don't use that word that way anymore.
0: Right, apprehension is usually just like uh, measured in school. Reading apprehension, listening apprehension, that kind of thing. Or but, if you're
1: apprehensive, you're worried about something.
0: Right? Mm, right, right. Comprehension, I guess, is usually how we, we talk about these. But yeah, th- that would be more or less a, a seeing A awareness of.
1: Sort of a waiting for, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ.
1: An expectation of, maybe.
0: To apprehend means originally to lay hold of by the hand. In the text, the word takes the secondary sense of taking hold of with the understanding. To comprehend the mercy of God is to receive the assurance of it into the mind and to hold by it. Someone look up Philippians 3.12. Well, you do. Let me give you this little quote from Browning. You know Browning. Ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's a heaven for? I've
1: got Philippians because I already have it
0: marked. All right, let's hear 3.12.
1: Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own.
0: I think it's perfect that we had that as a proof text when we had the question um, number 66. Nope, 65. Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? And that was one of the texts because Paul, we're saying St. Paul in the, the back nine of his missionary work had not yet even attained that kind of perfection. We certainly haven't attained and cannot attain that kind of perfection, and yet we press on, right? I'll Read it one more time, if you would.
1: Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his
0: own. Hmm. Maybe there's something, uh, another attribute of godly sorrow there. Um, The desire to belong to Christ, and to, and to own Him as our Savior, uh, rather than just the desire to squirm out of eternal punishment.
1: I uh, think that's a big part of it, because if, if you're dealing with sinfulness, you're, you're dealing with, um, you're breaking God's law, and you can have a different reaction. You could have the reaction of like, well... It really sucks to have to do all this stuff, and I want to do what I want to do. Or you can say, I want to be conformed to, to the image of Christ and to be more obedient. And I think that's a big difference, because you have to want to change in some way.
0: Mm-hmm. Even Otherwise, in the,
1: you're going to go the other way.
0: Even in the Old, old Covenant setting, I mean, the, the Pharisees do everything but they only like the results, right? They like what, it, it's like the guy who hates exercise but still runs six miles a day because he likes his physique. Right. Whereas David delights in God's law. Right. And, right? and if you can delight in God's law in the old covenant, you know, bring in God's grace now. Yeah, And it's still possible to just like the results mm-hmm. and not really care about the thing itself but Godly sorrow will love God's grace and uh, God's law, as it is in the in the New Testament, the law of love that we have in Christ, all the commands that, that we have. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments.
1: But I wonder if that's also like, if that's related to the idea of people who've been in the church for a long time or whatever, but maybe are not actually saved, that they like the being at church because they like the feeling they get, or they like um, the songs, or they like the social aspect or whatever, but it's not something that they actually want to, other than Sunday morning maybe, actually work
0: on. Yeah, if one can compartmentalize his or her life into religious, vocational, familial, etc., and Christ doesn't permeate all of it, I don't think we have... If someone can successfully do that for an extended period and that's their life... I don't think we have a a born-again individual. Uh, All of us have the tendency to try to cordon off areas and protect them from God's reach. You know, we don't want him to be too invasive, but I think he will get in eventually if we are really his, if if we've been bought by by his blood. Uh, So we have this apprehension, this taking hold of with the hand and with the understanding of God's mercy. What is the mercy of God? It is his feeling of pity toward our misery. Quote, Mercy hath but its name from misery, and is no other thing than laying another's misery to heart. That is... Say that again. Mercy, uh, hath but its name from misery, and is no other thing than laying another's misery to heart. So, etymologically, mercy and misery are related. I'm going to make too much of that, but I think it's a nice reminder in this case. Um, I think in all of these words, taking them apart helps. Compassion to feel with. uh, Empathy to feel in. Sympathy to feel with as well. Uh, We should have Greek instead of Latin. And here, mercy to take someone else's misery um, upon you. And, And that's what God did for us in Christ. Uh, And in Christ, because he was the person and his was the work in which God's mercy to sinners was and is revealed and offered, God was in Christ reconciling sinners to himself. I think God in in Christ reconciling the world to himself is the best in a nutshell of the gospel there is. Uh, I've, I've often gravitated toward that verse just as kind of a make sure we all know what we're talking about here. It is God. It is Christ and it's, it, so, so you don't have this separation of mean God throws poor son, you know, into the, into the flames because he doesn't want to, because he's so angry and, and unfeeling or the terrible sermon illustration of the drawbridge operator who brings his son to work on bring your son to work day, even though you work in a little booth by yourself and the son falls into the gears and the train is coming I remember hearing that and being like, I was probably, we were at like Midland Assembly of God for one of these big uh, multi-church things. There was a concert and there was preaching and this, and this guy said, you know, this is what salvation is like. He saw the train coming and he knew he didn't have time to go save his son. He, he either could save his son or the hundreds of people on the train, so he threw the lever and he like, you know, he's describing like he hears the, like the crunching of the kid oh, and everything. And it's geez. like, I remember being like horrified. At this God. Like, oh, that's love? Like, like there's, there's, that's, that's weird. The sun fell in accidentally, and the dad was just like, sorry. <laughs> and then all the people coming by, uh, waving, and he, like, is waving, but they don't know even what he's done for them. And you think about that's it. terrible. Now, every little bit of it, every detail is off. Um, Christ is not the, the innocent victim in the sense of. He had no say in the matter. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. He submits his will to the Father, and it's God himself on the cross, God the Son. That, I think, is is so vital, and we forget uh, that when we're talking about Jesus on the cross, the Father turns his face away. God is still dying on the cross. It's a, a beautiful mystery, uh, but it's all the harmonious will of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together that brings about our salvation. It's not the Father moving the other persons of the Trinity around like chess pieces. That's terrible uh, Trinitarian theology and terrible soteriology. So then the result being grief and hatred of sin. I think that brings us again right back to a a distinction between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Uh, One will lead you to hate truly hate your sin uh, with the kind of grief that leads to life and leaves no room for regret, which is what that, that passage said. Whereas there is a certain grief for sin that, that leads to death. Uh, grief from Gravis, heavy, gravitas, greetings all. That's gravitas. Uh, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Uh, this is a, an interesting word in that God's glory is described as weight throughout the Old Testament, right? That's the word do- doxa for, for, or that's the New Testament, uh, Kavod for, for glory, majesty. Uh, in the Hebrew language means weighty. Um, that's a good kind of weight. This is the bad kind of weight. That's pulling you down, dragging you down. You hate your sins. You feel their weight. They don't seem like light little nothings to you. Like, oh, I made, a, I made another oopsie. Uh, no, I've, I've broken God's heart and it is serious and I will confess my sin and repent and turn from it. Uh, hatred, extreme dislike, detestation. Wedgwood derives this word from an old root. This is really the etymology in this section. Uh, good old Alex White. Uh, Hats or hot, used in setting on a dog to attack a person. An act of hostility. Okay. And he points out, pardon, what is that word that hate, oh, hate. Okay. hatred of sin, grief, and hatred of sin. And he points out that the connection between the idea of setting an animal to fight and the angry passions uh, is also seen in Gale to incite, spur on, set dogs to fight, and the Greek stugas hatred. Without hatred of sin and remorse for transmi- uh, transgressions, no man will taste the grace of God. The words of the holy John Calvin. Without hatred of sin and remorse for transgressions, no man will taste the grace of God. That is probably the the real core of this whole issue of what is repentance unto life.
1: Isn't that like the Pharisee and the tax collector going before God?
0: Yeah. The, the, the way they approach God? For the uninitiated, how do they approach God differently?
1: Because they... Pharisee says, thank, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this sinner over here. <laughs> and, the, and the tax collector is, is just beside himself with his sin. Mm-hmm. He knows he's broken God's heart.
0: Yeah, Jesus gives us this really clever picture of body language, too, right? Mm-hmm. So the Pharisee stands in the temple courts, face up to heaven, praying out loud for everyone to hear. Uh, saying, uh, Lord, yeah, thank you for not making me like other sinners, even like this pathetic one here. And the tax collector is hunched over in a posture of humility, won't even dare look up toward heaven, beats his breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, The the distinction there, I think, yeah, the, the idea of even if we give lip service to grace is the grace we're talking about. God loves you despite your flaws, and maybe even because of them, they make you special. No, don't, don't worry about sin. There's grace. Or is grace, whoa, look at the cross. Sin is so serious. God is so serious about sin that his son had to suffer and die. But God loves us so much that his son came and suffered and died. God in Christ reconciled the world to himself. Now we've got an understanding of grace with the grave part, the heavy part. Uh, and that will, that will result, the first one won't, but that kind will result in a hatred of my sin. Uh, even, gosh, we're going to have a memorial service for our good friend who was 38. That makes me hate sin, because death entered the world through sin. All the suffering we see should make us hate sin. Every time we fall short, we should hate sin. Like, There's not anything that we should encounter in the world as believers filled with the Holy Spirit that won't increase our hatred of sin. Not in other people like that, that Pharisee, oh, those people's sin is the problem, Those, but make me hate my own sin. There was a, a turn of phrase a while ago uh, that tried to be very clever, and I, I think it succeeded, but not in the way that it thought it did, which is you know, the love the sinner, hate the sin mantra that you often hear. Um, I think that has been used often to uh, justify being pretty nasty to people. No, 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 I'm being a jerk to your sin, not you. Um, but it, it, I think it was one of those emergent guys, maybe even Brian McLaren or somebody who said, love the sinner and hate your own sin. And even though the intent there was to say, never talk about whether or not, uh, this behavior or that behavior or this understanding is right or wrong, but just let everyone deal with themselves in this kind of very libertarian, um, Alex, I'm going to bring it out now rather than soul liberty, soul libertarianism, um, there is some truth in it of if I love sinners, my my hatred of sin will be universal, and I'll see it most and hate it most in myself, and that's where God's at work is, it, it, from my pr- perspective and in my life, is not me out there railing against all those other guys and those uh, rotten jerks, and but dealing with all the nasty stuff that's in here, in my heart.
1: Um, Real quick, I don't want to get us off, but the other thing that popped to mind when you were talking about, um, I don't remember which, the other comparison we might make would be between Judas saying, take the money back, I'm trying to make it right, and Zacchaeus, who also says, I'm going to repay everything that I stole or whatever. There's a difference there between their worldly and, and godly sorrow.
0: What's the difference?
1: Well, I think they're, they're doing the same thing, but clearly their heart is different, right?
0: Only Judas throws back exactly the same coins he was given, and Zacchaeus says, I'll pay back three times. Oh, well, yeah. Right? Because he's so full of, like, Jesus uh, energy and, and, and excitement. And, and, yeah, yeah, I think there there's, there's a difference there because he's welcomed Jesus into his home. Right. He, he initially, too. No, 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 no. I don't... I'm just... I'm going to stay up in my tree. <laughs> but Jesus gets a hold of the little guy. Yeah. Yeah? I, I agree. That's a, that's an interesting distinction because they both have sinned and that's why they have this money.
1: Right.
0: The last step here, uh, turn from it unto God. This is what we call conversion. Uh, this is... You know, there's all sorts of different things that get converted. I, I convert... Uh, on my palm pilot, different units, imperial to metric. I don't use my phone for that. I don't trust it. I, you never, they might change it. My palm pilot's going to stay the same. But, but but, in the scriptural and religious sense of the word, it's not just turning from sin, but turning unto God. It's very common at this time of year for people to have still successfully maintained a turning away from a particular bad habit or activity or thought process or whatever and and held fast it's only been a couple weeks but when we turn from our sin and turn unto god in the words of matthew henry it is not sinning that ruins men but sinning and not repenting uh or here's another quote just attributed to bright you know bright that's what happens when you read these guys from the late 19th century once in a while, they'll, they'll quote like Spurgeon or somebody who you know, but often who they're quoting, you're like, I don't know, whoever that is. Uh, Heed this, O men, ere grace be spent to fall from God and scorn to rise, to sink in woes and ne'er repent. This makes the death that never dies. That's pretty uh, heavy for a rhyme couplet situation there. So now we are full of purpose and endeavor after toward new obedience Uh, that's another i think indicator that you see with the long haul with people you know you go to the billy graham crusade when you're 10 or 20 and you go forward and you fill out the card which i understand is sent directly to lamb's book of life they pre-punch them they go in um no you fill out the card that says this is you know what i prayed what i intend Okay, what do we see five years down the road? What do we see when you're 40? What do we see when uh, you're nearing the end of your life? Have you continued on? Are you overcoming to the end? Are you persevering? Is there new obedience you're continually following after, seeking after, endeavoring toward? Or was this just a a phase in, in your life? Something you tried when Dianetics was too long and boring and yoga, you know, left you sore, and you know, so you tried something else. Uh, this, yeah,
1: that fits with what we were just starting yesterday in Philippians, the first section, where you have, you know, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, and that He's praying for their love to abound more and more, and with knowledge and love, discernment, and like getting more and more, you know, that whole process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted
0: to make for you. sure, yeah. Isn't that, isn't it great how when you're studying one book of the Bible, and then you start looking at something else yeah. scriptural, or you're always like, whoa, there are conne- it always happens. There are connections with, like when we were in a different, entirely different part of this, and we were reading through Acts that kept connecting, yeah. week after week, and then when we were in Ephesians that kept connecting. We it's almost like this is uh, more than just a book and has <laughs> some kind of supernatural ability to to. Tell us what we need to uh, hear and, and read and understand in the moment. Uh, I think this is a, a, a great little illustration. Super old-timey. It's from Plutarch. That, that guy only has the one name. Pharnaces sent a crown to Caesar at the same time that he rebelled against him. But Caesar returned the crown and sent this message back. Let him return to his obedience first. When we come to God and praise, well, hanging on tightly to sin, uh, you know, there, there's the picture that Jesus gives us of bringing your offering to the temple. And if you remember, even your brother has something against you, right? Go deal with that first, then offer the, the offering. Well, if you know God has something against you, and yet you're kind of just, mm, I'm going to keep this over here while I'm still worshiping, that is problematic. That That will not be... Light That will be a very heavy thing for someone who has true repentance, who is um, truly exercising faith in Jesus Christ, uh, which is the only way to escape his wrath and curse due to us for our sin. Ooh, a little quote from Pilgrim's Progress. Isn't it great how every time you're doing a uh, podcast about Pilgrim's Progress with your friend, that comes up in the reading in Sunday school? Um, Christian. And did you endeavor to mend? Hopeful. Yes, and fled not only from my sins, but sinful company too, and betook me to religious duties as prayer, reading, weeping for sin, speaking truth to my neighbors, etc. These things did I, with many others, too much too much here to relate. All obedience is not new obedience. For those, uh, there may be a reformation when there is no repentance into life and its new fruits. So... There can be, you know, we say you'll know them by their fruit, and then someone says, well, this teacher over here is not teaching Christian doctrine. They don't seem to be a, a believer because they're teaching another gospel. They're, they're talking about God in ways where, you know, the, the Trinity is even confused or the very nature of, of our forgiveness, grace itself, how we follow him is all jumbled. And someone will say, well, Jesus said you know them by their fruit. And look at how many people are able to better themselves through this person's Message, their ministry, uh, and and the quote I just read here, I think, is the answer. There, there is obedience that's not new obedience. There's reformation that's not repentance unto life. That's common among non-religious people as well, and people of every religion, um, monotheistic, heathenish, and otherwise, to to get. Uh, a little Puritan in the in the phrasing, right? Uh, before the reformed man can take rank with the penitent, he must first feel both grief and hatred for his sin.
1: Well, I think, like, our our efforts to reform our lives keep us from it. Like, if we just focus on that first, it, that's a barrier to repentance sometimes because you think you've... Okay, I've got this handled.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: I don't need to repent because I'm working on it.
0: So it's almost like your own attempts at self-justification, keep true justification out of reach. And that is the devil's whole plan, I think, in a nutshell. Right? If I can keep you either loving your sin and just throwing yourself into it, or having this sort of Ross and Rachel, will they, won't they with your sin, (laughs) and trying to figure that thing out this whole time, either way is fine with him, as long as you don't throw yourself at the mercy of Christ. Uh, apprehend the mercy that that God has for you in Christ. Now, kind of the reason that I wanted to go uh, phrase by phrase through this uh, document for this question in particular is because I think this last section, uh, there's the uses and then the questions. And I think both of them are really worth looking at particularly for this question. I, I've always read this uh, in preparation of uh, teaching through all of this thing, but, but this one really just stuck out to me. So there are three uses, or are there four? I think, oh, there's five. I only remember three. Uses of what? Uh, basically application. Okay. Uh, application of this question. And then the questions after it are kind of uh, reflection, reflective. They may be worth looking at as well, but we have five minutes. So I want to read as many uses as we can get through, probably one. In the 15th chapter of the Confession of Faith, which treats of repentance unto life, we read, Men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty, and woman's, to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. And Hooker and Taylor, standard divines in a somewhat different ecclesiastical school, agree with the confession in this. For Hooker says, A general persuasion that thou art a sinner will neither so humble and bridle the soul as if the catalog of thy sins examined universally be kept continually in mind. And Jeremy Taylor, in his Unum Necessarium, says, Every single act of vice may and must be repented of particularly if it be a willful, willful, deliberate, and observed action. A general repentance will not serve thy turn in those cases. I was a blasphemer, particularizes the apostle, and a persecutor and injurious. Let no man then who would truly repent of his sins content and deceive himself with the easy and unprofitable impeachment. I am a sinner." Let no man suppose that he has perfected his repentance before God by uttering the penitential words, pardon my iniquity for it is great, but let him with a noble self-accusation take hold of his sins and lead them out of the darkness and tell out before God and his own conscience, their particulars and their aggravations. Let him be beforehand with the great day. Let him relieve the judge of this strange work. Um, there is then uh, a, a proper confession and absolution in the, the church, I think. Uh, Luther did as well. It's not a, you come in and tell me all your particular sins and I say, okay, do four Hail, Hail Marys or, you know, Hail Calvins or whatever we do in the, the you know, Hail Roger Williams in the Baptist Church. But instead, we together affirm before we take the Lord's Supper. Uh, we've sinned and we say every possible more specific subcategory, but not my particular sins and yours. A- and I think it presupposes—I know it presupposes—you have been confessing your sins and being forgiven throughout since the last time we gathered together. If not, um, sometimes you can fall into a situation where you couldn't even list all your sins since you know how long since your last confession, my son. Long time. Father God, right? I mean, and I do certainly believe that if someone is sorrow sorrowful, sorry with godly sorrow for their sins, as they confess them thought, word, and deed what I've done, I have not loved my neighbor with my whole heart, I have not, and, and as you pray that, I'm sure into people's minds come particular things that, that they are sorry for, and then I, with full confidence and the authority of scripture, tell them the words that I think everyone needs to hear out loud a whole lot, in which sadly Baptist churches often fail to say, which is, your sins are forgiven. But in that general kind of, I mean, if I just read that every night, would that suffice? Not according to White, and I don't think, according to Scripture, I think, that I mean, I like how he he goes to, like, all of his go-to guys, and all of them have a particular caveat about, now, don't just I'm a sinner in general. Particulars and aggravations meaning exactly how i've sinned I, I confess to god to confess means to say the same as to agree with him that it is sinful and all the ways in which i like it's it's worse than it could be because uh, for starters i have his grace and his spirit in me and in every situation there are other th- things going on and praying those things particularly and knowing and feeling the forgiveness of sins for each of those things particularly is what it looks like to live a life of repentance.
1: Well, I think that also, if you're just general, you're, you're going to have a hard time in your sanctification of working with God to stop sinning in a particular way. If you're not actually thinking about that particular thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So So you'll just you know, it'll be part of your general repentance tomorrow, which means that the hatred of sin hasn't really taken hold in you. Uh, There's a a movie that came out a while ago, 20 some years ago, probably. Everything is longer ago than it seems. Um, Which I'm not going to say the the name of it because I don't want you to go watch it. it. It was clever, but also had some garbage in it. But there's a scene where you jump from different people to different people, Uh, they're about to, they're students and they're about to go into a a school election and they all want to win and you see their prayers. And it's funny because one of them says, God, I don't really believe in you, but since I'm being kicked out of school and going to Catholic school, I guess I should get used to, uh, pretending at least to talk to you and please help this person win the election, not this person. Then you go to the very self-righteous, uh, Reese Witherspoon character who's like, Lord, it's me. Aren't you happy to hear from me? Basically we, you and I both know what's best for everyone I've got my plan. You're on board with it. I'm going to win the election. And I'm very humbled. Then you go to the guy who's like the super sweet, nice guy. And he says, well, whatever you want, Laura, let it happen. I know that even though she's mean to me, this this, uh, other person who's running for office is, is kind at heart. And you're supposed to be like, oh, this guy's the sweet guy. And then at the end, he says, and forgive me for my sins, whatever they may be. And I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, oh... And, and, and the more I think about it, the more I think, don't even bother. What a cop-out. Forgive me for my sins, whatever they may be. I think that's kind of how we sometimes approach confession in the Christian life, in our, you know, God, you know I've sinned. I know that you're, I'm a great sinner. You're a great Savior, so... Like, I don't have to keep track, because I know you are. I'm not going to waste your time with this. Let's just skip the formalities and give me my forgiveness. I don't think we have sanctification happening there either right you're you're just not uh engaging with god's grace you're acknowledging it and you're saying it's powerful but you're not i don't i'm going to sound heretical here but you're like not hooking up to it it's like pulling up to a gas pump and being like i think we all know there's a lot of gas under our feet in these tanks (laughs) so i'm gonna drive away now um god says confess repent if you confess your sins plural, meaning not just your sinfulness, not just your sin in general, but your sins, plural, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If I miss one of my sins or I don't recognize that I'm sinning, does that mean I'm, I'm out on my ear? No, uh, I think that's, may even be aware of the Holy Spirit praying for you kind of uh, comes into play and just God's grace abounding uh, and overwhelming our own sinfulness comes into play. Uh, I see that we are more than out of time. Let me say a real quick prayer uh, and we'll continue with the uses of this same question next week. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, a beautiful day and I thank you for those who are gathered here together today. We pray that you would help us uh, as we leave this place to uh, just hate our sin, grieve our sin, love our Savior, to turn from our sin, turn to God, Lord, to apprehend and comprehend your mercies that we have in Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would want you to, uh, to, we would want to be yours, and we would want you to be our Savior, Lord, that we would not draw away when we sin, but be drawn to you, run to you for forgiveness. We pray all this in Jesus' name.